should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because the bridge is out, the roads are closed, and the waters are rising. <laughs> my name is Kevin Lund, joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who's out trying to find Sally May and the boys before the storm hits. Benedict! I have no idea about anything that you just said. <laughs> I, I'm just nodding along, smiling. Like, just you know, like someone who's frontier like... gibberish. Exposed to American culture for the first time, and I'm just like <laughs> wide-eyed and <laughs> delirious. I don't know. You chose to move here, Benedict. I did. How was your week without me? Did uh, we get a week? Actually, did we? No, I don't no, think no, we did I because was, now we're I, recording I, in advance I, again. No, I I could not escape you. I had four days without you, in fact, <laughs> which is less than I normally have. So. That is true. That is true. Um, how was your weekend? Weekend, without me birthday weekend, weekend in chicago yeah. uh it was, it was nice it wasn't my birthday weekend because that was the week before uh but uh yeah. i went up to chicago went and uh, uh my parents were up there so i went and visited them saw the chicago marathon which i had no idea was happening that weekend oh i saw I so there. many social media posts about the chicago marathon i was like <laughs> why is everyone talking about this and then apparently that's why i got there and all of a sudden it's like oh there's a marathon this weekend cool i guess i'll Watch that for about 30 seconds. You didn't and then you run realize it? it's just people running. It's just yeah, people running. Yeah, and you just stand in one spot and they're, yeah. like, and they're like, oh, okay. That's uh, like when you, yeah. your old place, you used to be near the marathon. Yeah, route, literally. We used to get cut off. We were isolated every every marathon. Yeah, and I remember one weird. year, I think I asked you, well, why don't you go watch the marathon? And I think you're like, it's just people running. It's people just <laughs> run past you at like alarming speed. You're like, oh, okay. And now I finally yeah. understand. Yeah. Some dude Good. like set a world record though. Somebody yeah, the like two like, hours in like 10 seconds or something, which ridiculous. is, that's got to be so annoying. Utterly like, ridiculous. I, I know that that is so fast and it's cool to have a world record, but if you're going for under a certain time and that certain time is around two hours. Yes, and you just you know, barely and you over still, it. You still run the fastest anyone has <laughs> ever run, but you don't quite get under two hours. That's got to be so annoying. Oh, it would be, it'd be, oh I don't want to be that guy. I no. Don't want to be well, I would. I, I mean, it would be pretty but... cool. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, uh, you probably know what it is we do here on this program. Other folks, folks who have never watched people run, might not know what exactly mm. it is that we do. And then I will say, this is a show where we go deep, 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 deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative literature. And in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us? Yeah, and it's more a cooling take, actually. Mm. It feels like fall is Refreshing, minty take. Yeah, does it? I mean, doesn't it feel like falls late this year? I don't know how it is with you, oh, but like we, ha- the the leaves have barely started to change here yet. Well, Climate was, change, everybody. <laughs> it was seventy degrees here in St. Louis. Yeah, it's when been I, uh, left, and it was it was like in the fifties in Chicago when I was there. Yeah, uh, but that's but Chicago. Yeah. Chicago is never above like ten. <laughs> it is still very. It's unseasonably warm. I would say. Yeah. 
Which it's very is British weird. of you to do a weather-based take. By yeah. Way. Well, you know, sometimes I feel a little too American, and then I like to uh, be socially awkward and talk about the weather once in a while just to remind me of my roots. Yeah, quite dank, isn't it, bro? Quite dank. dank. Yeah, well, when, when I heard the first time that dank here is used for, like, weed, <laughs> I, I had to reassess some of the word choices that I'd been making. Uh, not not wet like you use it over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not how we describe weed, which is moist. No, <laughs> um, uh, what about you? Hot take from you. Hot take, Benedict. Uh, Chicago, one of the world's greatest cities. I'm I almost Chicago said thing. that. I, you like genuinely. You brought up Chicago, and I was mm-hmm. like, I sh- I should do Chicago is cool as a hot take. Just, yeah, because you were there a couple months ago, right? Yeah, you were up there. Uh, we didn't I love get Chicago. to connect because you didn't no. warn me ahead of time enough. Yeah. So I wasn't bad. able to make it up there when you were there. Uh, but, like, you know, if you go down in the loop, uh, and just, like, the fact that they have the entire riverfront is, like, a massive park yeah. is one of the coolest things on the planet. Just, yeah. like, incredibly, you could spend all day just walking up and down the riverfront, going to the museums and shit, and it's just a great time. And it's it's a fantastic city. It's The transportation is great. I never had an Uber that cost me more than, like, 15 bucks to yeah, get around the whole city. Everything, and, yeah, like it's just like New York if like it was a normal place. Yes, like, it's exactly with, like, that. With actually better architecture, honestly. Like it's it's a cool. The, I love the lake. It's a little too cold, I will say. But like every, like everything stops in Chicago, right? So like yep. every band, if they're doing an American tour, they will play Chicago. Yep. Like. Uh, in a way that they often won't even play New York. Like sometimes <laughs> New York, they're like, ah, oh, we can't find an appropriately sized venue because they like New York. We can't get Madison small Square venues Garden and, uh, or stadiums. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, like so, uh, we actually. So we actually went to a concert. I went to a concert with my parents, how which is, that? is a very weird thing. It's very very weird to go to a concert with your parents because I didn't even know. I just show up and this this uh, blues musician that my dad likes is playing there. Uh, and he's like, well, I got tickets. We're going tomorrow night. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Cool. I guess we're was going it good? to the It was, um, so it's like Samantha Fish is who it was. I had oh, never okay. heard of her before. And I listened to a lot of blues and yeah, I got to the concert. I listened to a lot of blues as well. I've never heard of her. And yet. I can tell you who this woman listens to, who she likes. Okay. Like she is a fan of Royal Blood and Wolf uh. Mother and things like that. Okay. <laughs> like, my dad, after the concert, was like, well, you know, her more regular blues stuff. Because she played a very rock and roll set. She very played uh. a very loud, up-tempo set. And my dad was like, well, you know, it wasn't quite what I expected. I was like, eh, it was all right. It was like that. It, it was B-tier music. It was, B- it was no Gary Clark Jr. But yeah. she's able to have a serviceable career where she sells out um, thousand-seat uh, halls to uh, guys in their 50s and 60s. <laughs> And that's great. And she was great. She, you know, way more talented than I would ever be, right? I'm not shitting on this one. Yes, she is a touring musician. I'm like. not shitting on her talent. She, she got a great voice. She was very entertaining. It was a good time. It's just not something that I would, like, go out of my way to see, right? It's not Maneskin coming to town. She's from uh, Missouri. She is. She's from Kansas City. I looked her up while I was sitting there at the concert. Uh, by the way, Maneskin, hottest act around right now. Am I right? They're just fucking killing it. In terms of, like, raw sexual magnetism? I mean, or? yes, yes. <laughs> the, the most bisexual band on the planet is what I mean by them, exactly. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're just steaming with hot takes. I love them Take, so much. Hot I takes so takes much. about hot people. I've been try. I tried to get tickets, but they just stopped. They just ended the part of their tour in the U.S. Uh, the right. last one was at Madison Square Garden. While well, you were out of the country, you could come. I wouldn't aid. come if you weren't there. I'm not going <laughs> to. That would New be York quite City. rude. It would to be, be honest. It would be. <laughs> You're like, uh, well, man, I skin with us. So. You know, it's almost worth it. Anyways, Benedict, let's move it along. What is on your bookshelf this week? Uh, on my bookshelf is A Swim in a Pond in the Rain by George Saunders. Yeah, it is a book. Dude, it we did the book. thing again this week. We did the thing we did again. The thing again. I'm telling you right now, uh, we did the thing. It's basically so. Uh, this is a very me selection in that it's a very. It's almost like a uh, an MFA a book of poetry. It sounds no, like it's not, but it is like an MFA writing seminar mm-hmm. in fiction form. Because basically, it, it like it's a book that looks at like the Russian masters' short stories, essentially, and be like, and is like literally is like, why is this good? <laughs> <laughs> um, and literally, like talks you through, like, it asks you questions, like why, like why did he make that word choice? Like what, what do we think the point of this is? Like where, where oh, are we in the story? It sounds like something that would annoy the hell it's out of me. It's such a me book, and I love it. <laughs> It's such a me book and it's amazing. So uh, I thoroughly recommend it. George Saunders is great. George Saunders' own short stories are all great. Uh, Lincoln in the Bardo is also very, very good. Um, that was his first novel. Uh, and then he's doing this. I think he teaches at Syracuse, um, but he wrote this basically as kind of a reflection of how he teaches in his seminars, which I think is really interesting. Cause Nerd! I fiction. I saw you lining up to say that, so I kept talking for longer so that you had to hold your breath for a bit longer. You saw me hold I breath. literally I saw you, you take the breath. Yeah. <laughs> What about you? Oh, What's your hot you take? Not hot together take. long enough, and you <laughs> fucking shit happens. What's your bookshelf? <laughs> My bookshelf this week, Benedict. A video game. Go into a video game this week. Nut. <laughs> Yeah, I don't deny it, and I don't try. <laughs> I don't think it's a negative aspect of my life. No, against the storm. It's a. Uh, it's an early release on Steam, early access on Steam right now. Mm. It's a city builder strategy game with a much more satisfying progression system than most uh, city builders I've ever played. It is not one where if you play once through like the main thing, you're done. You the, this is we're talking dozens or hundreds of hours worth of game time to unlock everything, get all the way through. And that's the kind of game I love when it comes to strategy and and city builders and stuff like that. It's so much fun. I have enjoyed it a ton already, and they are getting ready to release uh, the uh, initial 1.0 launch. Uh, So it's coming out of early access soon, and I definitely recommend for anyone who's into that kind of game, go check it out. It's a whole hell of a lot of fun. Anyways, on to housekeeping this week. Benedict! Remember to rate, interview us on the iTunes, uh, follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen. Uh, updates. Uh, so uh, obviously we're recording ahead of time again because uh, Benedict and I, you know, uh, schedule stuff. Uh, we try not to do it too schedules, much. So we, schedules are hard. Schedules are hard. Schedules are hard. So we're recording ahead of time, obviously, if you... Uh, also, Kevin refuses to let us miss a week, so that's why. <laughs> It's it's the listeners who refuse, Benedict. No, it's, it's no, it's not. Uh, so yeah, we are recording ahead of time. So keep that in mind uh, when you want to be. A, where was my shout out on the show? We recorded ahead uh. of time. That's probably why. 
Uh, other updates. Uh, so as far as the patron onlys go, uh, the patrons seem to have indicated, to my knowledge, uh, that they want us to do more of the Michael Knowles Book Club episodes, uh, which have also been incredibly fun for me. In fact, mm. we enjoyed yep. them quite a bit. So I, I'm very glad that that decision has been made. Uh, yep. So I think the next one we're going to be doing is the Ted Cruz episode of them reviewing Brave New World. Which, as I texted Benedict as soon as I went and watched it, they're starting with the same premise of we are living it's in a world. It's happening today. <laughs> oh, do do we live in a world where um, people are raised in, in jars and mm. their intelligence is determined at birth by, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's what we live in, Ted. That's what we live in. Great. I'm very excited to see you. Ted's also- intelligence was not high. <laughs> Ted was a, I don't know, what's the low level? Is it Delta? Or Delta's yeah. the low level in Brave New World? Uh, also, I could have sworn that Animal Farm was on that list. I don't know why I thought it was on the list of ones they had done, but I went and looked, and it's not there. I was just so sure it was on that list. Maybe it's just because it feels to me natural to do 1984 and Animal Farm, even though they're yeah. the same. They're, they're, they're the same essential elements, yeah. basically. There's not... Yeah. A Stalinism bad is the, <laughs> the Trotskyism good. Yeah, yeah, there's a general theme going through all that yeah. stuff. So that is what we will be doing next on the Patreon only for this month. But Benedict, that also brings us to our new inductees into the spooky world, New World Order. Bleh. And of course, those are our two newest patrons. Starting off with Sam Walsh. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Bleh. You're getting better. You're getting better. Uh, and <laughs> Kathy, you are now part of our. New World Spooky World Order, bro. And I, I told Benedict this before we started, but because of the uh, uh, the comic strip, and I'm sure you hate this because it's your name, uh, and also because of the Saturday Night Live uh, sketch of, of Kathy that they did, I can only ever hear Kathy in my head as, Kathy! Many uh, apologies. Yes, I'm very sorry. Also, very please sorry. review us, even if you don't leave a review, just do a star thing, because we got a couple of one-star reviews again, so it, it, that, it, it messes with us. I look. I don't think anything about Fuck this. Fuck the haters, bro. Fuck the haters. One, look, even look, even if you hate the content, I think the the quality of the production deserves at least two oh, stars. Oh, oh would <laughs> you, you give a neo-Nazi two stars, Benedict? Would you give a neo-Nazi two stars? Would I consider us on the same level as neo-Nazis? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but of course, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommend it to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. With all that out of the way, Benedict, we return to our book review of Manhood by Josh Hawley, A Sack of Ham. And... <laughs> I kind of like when I just do the weird non sequitur ones that get always, you so out of always sorts. Always gets it. Yeah, it's something. It's like very Matt Berry humor. I don't know if you've seen like the. Have you the ever seen the most devious of, bastard in Kansas the most City? Devious sack of ham west of Topeka. <laughs> I don't know where Topeka is. is. He, that is how he would pronounce it. That is how Matt Berry would pronounce Topeka. That's great. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Benedict, we're starting off, of course, as we do, with our video clip of the week. And this time, uh, it's a short and sweet one for you. Okay. Uh, but it is... Is it Josh Holly saying something fan- fascist? Um, It's him saying some dumb stuff. Definitely okay. him saying some dumb stuff. Uh, but this is him appearing on Tucker Carlson about okay. two years ago. Uh, I don't know. Can you think of anything that happened? I don't know. Maybe two-ish years ago. Can't can't imagine what might have no. been around that time. But we'll uh, learn what the appearance is all about right here. 
Senator, thanks so much for coming on. So there, you're now one of the most despised uh, people in America. So I true, true Good. statement. Yeah, true Tucker's first, first <laughs> accurate reporting. Appreciate your taking the time for being hated to come on the show tonight. Take but no I want to ask you specifically about. You know, like I, I always emphasize this, but these people place so much value on being hated. It is their calling card. It is it is their bona fides is being hated by the right people. You know what yeah. I mean? So much. It's so important. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Is is it's you know it's it's that like look who I'm blocked by. Guess mm -hmm. they couldn't handle the truth. Yes, thing. like the, it is the blocked shit. by X, Y, and Z. In yeah, Twitter yeah, bio. exactly. Yep about what happened between you and Simon and & Schuster. And I should say, I published with Simon & Schuster. I have a book contract for a future book with Simon & Schuster. It's making me very yeah, uncomfortable watching out, what yeah. they did to you. On what ground? So this, of what course. Did they, what did they do? They canceled Josh's <laughs> book. Do you not remember uh, that? Am I am I currently reading a book by Josh Hawley? <laughs> who, wait, I haven't seen, who published Regnery, this? Regnery. 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 Oh my God, I've talked about this before. Regnery has published so many of the books we've done on this show. Really? Like, I think they published all of Dinesh D'Souza's. I'm pretty sure they published uh, Glenn Beck's. Like, Regnery is the clearinghouse for absolute bullshit. They will publish any right-wing trash. And I think okay. it's, it's an imprint of somebody. I, I don't remember who it is. But, yeah, so many of our authors, all Regnery. Great. Crown, did they cancel your book contract? Well, they, they don't like uh, the exercise of free speech, Tucker, I think, mm -hmm. is at the end of the day. I mean, this is really about the First Amendment. It's really about free speech. And Simon and Schuster didn't like me doing what Democrats in Congress did in 2001 and 2005 and 2017. I don't recall Democrats, um, you know, supporting a vicious lie that led to a mob storming the Capitol in those years. But, yeah. but you know what? I was in a coma for all yeah. of the late 90s and 2000s up until yesterday. So maybe it's just my memory that's affected on all of this. But yes, you don't remember this? He had his book contract dropped. Was it for this? This it was, book? It was for Jan. Um, I think this was the big tech book. This was the... Oh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, I forget what the name of it was. So then he wrote a book about manhood instead where he... I'm so manly. Yeah. I'm so manly. Uh, alternate title of the book, by the way. Uh, but yeah, so he's upset because they dropped his book because he's our little fist boy who went out there and supported the mob on January 6th. I don't like that. And I, I think, <laughs> I know you don't. I think the bigger thing is the fact that even after the riot, as we mentioned, he was the one who still objected. Which oh, he was, wasn't the only one. I, no, a lot but, of, a lot of them still but I don't think the other ones had a book coming out with Simon and Schuster. That's true. Right. When Democrat members of Congress uh, objected during the certification process in order to try to have a debate about election integrity. You know, that's the First Amendment at work. That's democracy at work. But Simon and Schuster, unfortunately, I, I think there is also a difference to be pointed out that the other people who, who uh, uh, you know, objected in the past knew there was no chance whatsoever of their of their objection having any effect on the outcome. Yeah, uh, I, I really think that. And I don't think that any of the objections in the past ever actually led to what happened on January 6th, where the two houses had to convene in their chambers and debate and go through the whole rigmarole and whatnot, uh, because it was just a symbolic gesture. And yeah. there is something to be said for that. Fortunately, a lot of people on the left now decided that uh, the First Amendment is something that they no longer support. And I'll just say this, Tucker, at a time of division, uh, we've got to rally around the and, and oh God, well, I, hate, I hate to keep jumping in here, but again, 
It's a private book publisher. I, the First look, Amendment I, is I not implicated. I have also had my book contract cancelled, and thus my speech is being suppressed. And also, the, the other thing is, and I don't know where Holly stands on this, but if corporations are people, then it's their free speech to tell you to shut the fuck up. Like, um, he is in the position that if those companies are uh, fascists or owned by Mike Lindell, then they have all the speech they want. Uh, but, you know, woke corporations, Benedict, those Marxist woke corporations, they shouldn't have any freedom of speech. On the things that unites us as Americans, and I think the First Amendment of free speech has got to be at the top of that list. So if some policy, some creepy low IQ politician says, I want to shut down. Boy, low IQ politician. It's just... just we all know Tucker's a white supremacist. Like, we know that about him, but just... Mm, the fact that that it it, it just it, it's gross, isn't it? It's so gross. Yeah, yeah. Shut yeah. That okay, I get it. But a publisher is literally the guardian of the First Amendment. If you're no, publisher, it's not. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> it's explicitly not. Yeah. In fact, that's how a publisher. That's why a publisher gets to choose who they publish. That's that's uh, sort of how that yeah. works. It's not a yeah. First Amendment thing. Otherwise, I'm not about. I'm not allowed to write in the New York Post every day. You should, though. Honestly. Yeah, honestly, yeah. You'd be the best New York Post columnist <laughs> that they've ever had. Just not saying much. No. Should I exist because of the First Amendment? Your duty is to protect the First Amendment. But the people who run Simon & Schuster are now so crazed with ideology that they can't bear to hear a contrary view expressed? I mean, what was that? Absolutely high on ideology. Simon & Schuster, who signed a contract yeah, with that's Josh Hawley... That's the thing. And then we're like, no, this is too far. It's not a, it's not a contrary view. It's did you bring the, the U.S. capital to the brink of ruin? Hold on. I'm going to go to their website now and see uh, who are like the most recent ones they have published. So Simon & Schuster, new and noteworthy, on the very beginning, uh, the, the first page of their website, <clears throat> has published, apparently, recently, Breaking Biden by Alex Marlowe exposing cool. the what is what is the full title exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind joe biden his family and his administration also cool. mark levin mark levin's newest book the democrat party hates america that is apparently the title of mark's newest book Cut. well okay well we're reading that and then also no, no, no i don't first. want to read another 200 pages of copy and paste that's Benedict. fair that's fair no that's fair <laughs> That's fair. I had forgotten how bad it was. But yeah, uh, they're, they hate conservatives. It's those alternative views that they hate so much. That's why, that's why all this happened. Pretend for the country. Well, I think it really shows, Sucker, that we're in a period where the First Amendment values and principles of freedom of speech, also freedom of worship, freedom of religion, these things are, are really under attack by some quarters, by many quarters. And again, I, I come back to the fact that this is something, the First Amendment is something that unites us as Americans. And in this time of division, in this time of chaos, we've got to, we've got to stand strong for that. So under attack. So yeah. Under, it's, it's the, but he's still a senator and wrote another book in the next year. Like, <sighs> it's the meme of the baby with the boot on his neck. And yeah. his, his hand is in the opening of the boot. It's That's that. It. It's just that. God, these people are such whiners. Anyways, Benedict, let's get into chapter two. Chapter two of this a man's mission. Pile of shit. A man's mission. <laughs> yes, it is indeed titled A Man's Mission. Do you have 
an alternate chapter title for us. I do. It's my first Genesis commentary. <laughs> I feel That's like it. you stole a theme I used to do for a lot of alternate chapter titles there. <laughs> Just yelling. <laughs> what I read this summer yeah, by Josh Hawley. The uh, Y is backwards somehow. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Uh, I have several alternate chapter oh, titles of course this week. You do. You're, a, you're a machine gun, if nothing else. Uh, when it most comes of to them are bad, but they're mainly just what came to my mind. Just it's absolutely st- spraying alternate chapter titles. stream of consciousness. Yeah. So I just went on to the page. Uh, one Man's Mythology. Uh, okay. Them. Uh, women, who needs them, right? Sh- eh? Yep. Eh? Eh? We'll, we'll, be, we'll be clipping that. <laughs> Uh, a man's misogyny. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one of them. Yep. Uh, and then yep. the the real uh, the, the the final selection alternate chapter title. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this chapter? What <laughs> the fuck is this shit? There's I... nothing for me. Hold on, I'm not done. There's nothing for me here. This is nightmare. What am I supposed to do? That's so this is gonna be a good episode, title. everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I well I, I I do think it's worth saying at the start that it's a very weird chapter. Because uh-huh. there's like, it's 15 pages long, right? Yes, and then I short. think about 10 of those pages are, here's what Genesis says about Adam. And and more important, okay, we, we, we sort of have to start off with a preamble here for this chapter. Yeah, which tough. is a, a couple of things we have to touch on. One is that uh, uh, obviously most of this chapter is Josh's interpretation of the Genesis story. Sort of what yep. he told us he was going to do last week. And by yep. Josh's interpretation, I mean literally he's just picking shit out of thin air and saying this is what it means. Yep. It's it's not even like – I have always thought throughout my life that a degree in theology is absolutely worthless. And then I encountered someone who intended to do biblical interpretation <laughs> without a degree in theology. And boy, am I starting to think there might be some value there. But it's really starting to change my mind on the subject. Uh, but so, yeah, basically what Josh does in this chapter is he tries to interpret the words of Genesis to twist them into some, it's not even really well defined what the fuck he's trying to say, idea about what Genesis is supposed to mean to man. And whether he's talking about man or man, right? Man. Yeah. Or, or man. Man mankind, or capital M, man. Yeah. Right. Is also undefined throughout much of his discussion here. Yeah. So the, the the thing I need to touch on before we get started is that I, me and Benedict, we're both atheists. We don't believe any of the Bible is real. It's stories. It's things that people wrote down. They took uh, uh, ideas from society I, around them. Idea, and put them on ideas, you say. Ideas. <laughs> I and, think, you know, I think some of it is based in truth, probably. There are some historical truths, not in the yeah. Genesis story, right? But there are some No, that's the only part the I believe. I believe that a talking snake <laughs> gave a bit. <laughs> Benedict is an atheist, but also somehow a biblical literalist as to the creation story. A young earth creationist who is also <laughs> a, an atheist. A young earth creatheist. Huh? <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so when we look at all this, and we're going to have to talk a lot about the fucking Bible today. I'm more angry than anything that Josh made I know, I read know, parts I know. of the fucking Bible. I know. I thought we'd moved away from this. But God, yeah. it's so boring. Uh, but so when we go through a lot of this today, the point that matters to me is that I do not care 
about anyone's interpretation of the Bible. I simply do not. The only way in which I find it relevant or interesting, even in the slightest, is a historical analysis of the Bible. What the words meant to the people who were writing them and yeah. how they have affected society since they were put down. I, I am also interested in how it affects your politics, I guess. And like, yeah, if, well, that's what it, I mean by yeah, this, yeah. You know, how yeah. they've affected yeah, yeah. society. That's what but I mean. no, even, even contemporaneously, I think, how, how it affects your worldview is interesting. Yes, I do. And I think we do get some insight into Josh's thinking through his weird ass fucking analysis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I don't think it matters particularly uh, because, and this goes back to our position and where we start from being atheists, I don't think there is any inherent truth to be found in the Bible. I don't think it matters. It is not important to me. What people believed back then and how they thought people should live their lives is not important to the modern context outside of whether you know philosoph- philosophical concepts that have uh, filtered down through time, right? Yep. The way that they affect our lives now. But the way Josh starts his analysis is from a position that the Bible is objectively true and correct. Yeah, and he doesn't even. I, I mean, obviously, but he doesn't even get into like who wrote the Bible and why. Right. You know, like it's, you know, this is just like, oh, we're told this, therefore it must be true. Like, I really. There's there's a fun oh, thing we're going to come on. We're going to come to. No. We're not going to come on it. <laughs> well, speak <laughs> no, for yourself. No, 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 <laughs> Page what, 32, what, what, precisely. What was the phrase? No Korea? No. Uh, <laughs> no te corras. No te corras. Uh, but we're going to come to where Josh completely fails to understand the arbitrariness of the two things he's comparing is exactly the same. Yeah. It's it's great. I loved it no, well, so the, much. The, there's a few things, and I think uh, it, it is somewhat disarming to me, I think, for someone to so without holding back at all say that their worldview is based on this Mm -hmm. because like conceptually i understand that that's the case but like to to me that's something that like you know it's a soundbite that people say you know like i live my life as the bible teaches me to but to like get it in writing is somehow jarring for me i don't know why you know i'm not i'm not i can't really explain why it's more jarring to have it written down but I'm like, I guess it's just like, oh, you wrote that and meant it. That's weird. <laughs> it was like, you know, you know how like people just say things and you're like, ah, okay, whatever. You know, he's in front of an evangelical crowd. I understand why I would say that. And I know that this book is for those same people, but I just find it a bit more jarring to read it. And I, I can't really explain why. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's icky. It's icky to icky. me is what it is. Icky is sure. the only way I can describe it. There's also uh, a part of it for me where... Uh, I did very little looking into the sort of Josh's claims about what the text means, because like I said, they don't matter. But the parts I did look into, his analysis on a lot of this is so out of step with what even actual theologians think that the text means. Oh, so it's literally him just reading and me like, ah, that's oh, I know what that pulling means. pulling it out of his ass, dude. Yeah, he's pulling yeah, yeah. it right out of his ass. Because today, the chapter is primarily about Genesis. And Josh for literary purposes only and propaganda purposes has to find a way to connect the Genesis story to masculinity without doing the obvious, 
which is going to the deep pool of misogyny that has built, been built off of the story of Eve's creation. Oh, so misogyny, misogyny still slips in. Don't worry. Oh, no, still, yeah. He, he finds he, a way. Absolutely. <laughs> Life finds a way, baby. Let's go. <laughs> but he didn't appear to want to go the obvious route of following that. <laughs> nor, nor the toxic masculinity of uh, one brother being jealous of another and murdering him. That's, yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to that in the future. Like how Kane serves an example for Republican <laughs> politicians. So, Benedict, the chapter begins. Yeah. My grandfather was a farmer who raised wheat, soybeans, and corn, and also some milo, which is sometimes called sorghum, on the north plains of Kansas. And I'm not proud of it, but I did write cuck above soybeans. <laughs> I did. I have to. I do have to say. In fact, that's the only note I took on this page, <laughs> is to underline Holly. the word... <laughs> Josh Hawley, a family of soy boys. Uh, <laughs> uh, that didn't even occur in my mind. I love that that, <laughs> love that, that occurred to you. I, love that that did. I hate it, but it's fine. It continues. He was the first member of our family on my mother's side, born in the United States. His father was a Norwegian immigrant from a family of fishermen. But when they came to America, they took up farming. It was from him, my grandfather that I first learned about love of the land, M-dash, to appreciate a straight road, well-kept field of corn, to notice the beauty of common things, like sunflower fields, and a pasture after rain. It's okay. Just... <laughs> Thanks, dude. Josh, Josh, that weekend you spent with your grandpa in Kansas, I know Well, you we... know he was, like, sulking, because he had to uh-huh. go out and work in the fields. Well, yeah. uh, Mom said that I get to watch TV for two hours every night, but Grandpa doesn't have a TV. That kind of thing, exactly. Uh, Continues, he loved to work, and when I was a boy, he did me the great good service of taking me along with him out to the fields whenever we would visit. Don't worry, we're going to get to the Bible. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, uh, Parenthetical, my family lived in Missouri, and then in quotes, in town, albeit a small one. (laughs) And my mother, farm girl that she was, wisely thought it very important that my sister and I spend as much time on the farms as we can. If could. nothing else, he's a very jarring writer. I, he, he, write, he has a very weird writing style. You know, I will say that I understand Is it law writing? writing? Is that no, it's why? No, not, it's not law writing. This is, uh, I, to some extent, I write in a similar way because I focus on the flow of my writing. I mm. focus on the way that the because like I get very long sentences in my writing, even in my legal writing, and it's because I I don't care about the grammatical aspects of the sentence. I care about the way the words flow, and and I I'm reading it in my head as I write it. So maybe Josh is doing something similar to me. I don't know. Could be the case. But Benedict, he did say there. He said uh, lived in a small town. Small town boy. Up. Town girl. No, that's nothing. Uh, but so he is from, as we mentioned before, Lexington, Missouri, is where he grew up after his family left Arkansas. That is, of course, a town, a uh, population of about uh, 5,000. Uh, yep, that's small. 10 sentence. Um, it's uh, half an hour from Kansas City. But, Benedict, if you are to go maybe speak to some people who grew up in that town with Josh, uh, like, let's say, NPR did, uh, around uh, 2021. I don't know why they would do that in February 2021. Doesn't quite uh, seem relevant to me. But you might find that people say things like, quote, I can remember my kids. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. Damn it, wrong paragraph. Fuck. Here's the right paragraph. 
He tries to portray himself as a good old boy from rural Missouri, and my constituents are all these rural people, and they don't buy it at all, says Tim Crossan, a retired public school music teacher in Lexington, right. who gave Holly private voice lessons for years. This is just, look. I, I, private voice lessons. Sorry, voice no, lessons. I need more detail. Is that singing, or was private he a good little choir boy, or was, was he learning to publicly speak? I Benedict. need to know. I took private singing lessons in my childhood. I, I did took as private well. speaking lessons. I, you know, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but the gist of this article is people saying, dude, he fucked off and was going to a private all boys high school. He wasn't even around here once he turned like 13. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. And the thing that annoys me about it is this is something every fucking Republican does. It's the fake salt of the earth thing. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. I I've worked a real job. I've been out in the fields. And when people like that say it to my face as someone who was a fucking mechanic for the better part of a decade, I get to say, fuck them. I get to See, say, fuck them. I, I don't have that luxury. <laughs> yeah, yes, because you're a soft little soy boy. We get I it. am we get soft. It. Yeah, that's true. I am <laughs> soft. Uh, but my brain is sharp. So that's good. <laughs> I get the best of both worlds. Mm. But yeah, it is the that thing world. that me as someone who actually has done all these things that Josh Hawley and his ilk try to glamorize purely for political points, right? They've never actually experienced them and they don't want to experience any of them. But at me as someone who has done that, I get a little pissed off when that happens. Yeah. And I, I call total bullshit on it. The, going to your grandfather's farm when you were a child is not having a connection to the earth and the, the real no, people. No, it's the very uh, John Nantan goat of him to say. <laughs> can Josh Hawley control snakes? Maybe. He can see, maybe he can speak to them. Maybe he'd have told the serpent in Genesis to fuck off. And the serpent <laughs> would be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you spoke my language. Uh, so we get uh, moving on with the story of Josh's uh, grandfather. We, we learned that... Quote, one of the things I remember doing with him was laying pipe. Well, uh, <laughs> irrigation. Sorry, irrigation. <laughs> irrigation. Wow. Mm, irrigation. I missed a word there. Irrigation his, pipe. You know, seeing his grandfather lay pipe would explain a lot about the issues of Josh Hawley, if that uh, is something that happened in childhood. But yeah, this is weird story that doesn't really matter it's at all. It's not a long chapter. Like he, like no. he, he, it's weird that he's like, ah, I'm going to tell this story about Stretch irrigation pipe. Stretching it the fuck out. <laughs> Really, it's about opening and closing the gates on irrigation pipes to let water flow into the fields. All to It's like a full paragraph. All to get basically to the sentence that is about, you know, after he was done, he would sit there and look at the horizon and say, Mother Nature, she does have a way. To which I would just point out you that farms are not nature. No. They are, in H fact, entirely hitting, a product of humans. Hitting irrigation pipe gates with a hammer is not nature finding a way. I assumed <laughs> he was talking about sunset here, the sunset, and being like, ah, look, it's nice and pretty. Oh, well, you had but, a different interpretation than me. Yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, you never know. It's not well written, so it's a, it, it is open to interpretation. <laughs> it, of course, this is not, of course, anything that matters at all about this, but, you know, we have to point out... There's two pages that simply don't matter matter to this 15 page no. chapter could have been cut out in their entirety and we would not have lost a single fucking thing it would not have mattered at all but josh continues years later i realized he had taught me in those times together something very fundamental about manhood he taught me that a feeling of purpose in life comes from the work one does and that this is the right and natural way of men why men uh because women should just be making babies and pies that's the implication that's 
does it go beyond duplication the and subtext. get a little bit more? I See, I haven't. Uh, when we get these books, we skim them. So we haven't read them in their entirety yet. We like to have a more live reaction type feel to them, yeah. uh, which is a little bit more authentic, right? We're not like uh, pretending we don't know what's coming later in the book. Yeah. I am assuming that when we get to the chapters husband and father, we're going to have some pretty fucking vicious misogyny shit in there. There's some pretty misogynistic things in this chapter, so that's it's not going to head of ourselves. Benedict, yeah. of course. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not here. Yep. I'm just saying it's going to get more explicit is my expectation. Prove me wrong, Josh. Prove me wrong. Uh, continuing. He showed me that all work worth doing in cultivation in some sense. Uh, it is cultivation in some sense. Which, uh, no, no. Jo- Josh, um, do you think that your job is worthless? Because your job is not cultivation. It's yep. not even remotely cultivation. Cultivation of a riot. <laughs> <laughs> Correct, as a matter of fact. Correct, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it brings forth the possibilities that are there in the world and uses them to supply and sustain others. It brings fruitfulness from void and chaos. It pushes forward the frontiers of life. That's literally a word, Sal. I mean, none of that means anything, right? Like, if you step back from that, those all sound like real sentences, but none of those are real sentences. Well, especially coming from someone like Josh, who is uh, allergic to metaphor when it suits him and yeah. a complete literalist. And then in times like this, it's like, oh, everything is cultivation. You see, yeah. uh, I... I, I I till the pages of Microsoft Word, putting down my thoughts, uh, which are like the seeds of a new future, if you will. Uh, that kind of <laughs> bullshit. I like that. But he, uh, skipping a ways forward, he says, The Bible begins its discussion of men with a story about a man who is a farmer of sorts, Adam, from the Hebrew, Adama, Earth. <laughs> So yes. much, so much in that one uh, sentence. So you skipped over the bit, the only bit that I took a note on this time, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I just wrote. You know where he said he had his share of struggles in life, crops that failed, relatives who did him wrong. I just, I, I, I spill the tea. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to know, like your own family betrayed your poor grandfather. What happened? Yeah. Tell yeah. me. Mm, maybe his grandfather laid too much pipe. Uh, maybe around they got him in the trouble town. From time to maybe. Time. Yeah. Um, anyway, Going tell around me about town and laying pipe. Tell me about Adama. Uh, well, he's a farmer of sorts. Are you aware? Uh, of sorts. Uh, uh, no, he's not at all, actually. Well, he was in a garden. and uh, uh, So have I been. It doesn't he, make me a farmer. He, he took care of some plants in that garden, which was magical and created by a god and had trees of all the types. So sort of like a farmer, if you think about it, you know. Eh? <laughs> Most of my notes for this book end with, eh? <laughs> Adam, eh? the horticulturalist. This whole book could be subtitled, If You Squint. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if you turn your head 90 degrees and kind of look at it funny. And uh, it continues. Like my grandfather, the Bible says this first man was a tiller of the soil. And in telling his story, the Bible makes this point, that all men are to work the earth as my grandfather did. And in this sense, each man is appointed to bring forth creation's possibilities, to help perfect the world and build it into what, build it into what it could be. Um, and this is the point where I realized, just thinking about how Josh is wrong, oh, Adam uh, is actually the kid who lives in the basement, if you think about it. Uh, <laughs> he got kicked out of the house after his parents got really mad 
because he stole food from the kitchen, um, had a dysfunctional family. One of his kids ended up killing the other one. Um, and uh, still we have uh, uh, people talking about him to this day and how great he was uh, because of that one time that uh, he uh, got up on stage at high school and uh, showed his ass to the whole crowd. So, you know, really, um, he's, he's, uh, he's a farmer, Benedict. He's a farmer. That's a stretch for me. I think we should uh, uh, find a middle ground. Uh, <laughs> eh? Eh? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is the intro, really. This is what could have been this, the this, entire this first two where, pages. Yeah, I mean, and this is where we get to the substance of the chapter, which is a biblical commentary. Yes, he basically. tells us that we're going to learn from the story of Genesis the origin of man's purpose. Now, I told you I looked a little bit into what people think about it, um, and when and and according to most people who look at the Genesis story, um, Josh's takeaways not quite the takeaways from the story. Okay. Uh, we'll see as we go through it where it comes from. But he starts giving us a quote from Genesis 1, uh, chapter, is it chapter, chapters? I forget. The chapter's the first number, right? Ch- chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. There you go. I'm just going to have you do it the whole time, Luke. Well, That's dude. fine. In the beginning, God created the heavens and there, blah, 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 blah. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. And he begins with Josh's analysis. The world was a chaotic place at first. No day and night. No land and sky. No order. Just the deep an ancient symbol of chaos, ever-churning, without form and in darkness, disorder itself. There are many creation stories in the literature of the ancient Near East, and most of them begin with chaos and darkness, followed by an account of how the first gods emerged from it, out of the deep, not so in Genesis. When it begins, God is there. Why did he just let the darkness hang around for so long? If God was already there, why didn't he do anything about it? If he didn't have to emerge. Yeah, I know. An omnipotent God was just like, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. He had the clapper and he like wasn't working. He wasn't close (laughs) enough to the clapper. So he kept trying it and he just had to like, you know, move closer. Why didn't lazy God do this already? It's been there for ages. And also going back to what he's saying there. So in his version, in Josh's version, the Genesis story God was already there. He was already uh, uh, in, he was, well, all there would be in Josh's yep. version of the story. And he says that's different from the Near East creation stories that existed. To which I just say that the Babylonian, Babylonian creation myth, uh, uh, the, the gods Tiamat and uh, I forget the other one's name, predated creation. They were there already before creation. Yeah, I'm not expecting this to be well researched. Uh, there are multiple Egyptian creation myths where the gods created predated creation. This is just ba- you, you could have done a Google, Josh. Could have done a little googly do, but you didn't bother to do it. No. But he, you know, obviously it's an attempt to set apart his. And it's weird to me that he keeps comparing Genesis to like other myths from the region, which feels like something he wouldn't want to do. To point yeah. out that some aspects of these story are clearly part of broader regional myths that were sort of. Uh, uh, brought into the the uh, story of Genesis. Yeah, I, look, I think what he's referring to is the the Greek creation myth, which is that the Earth emerged out of ca- like what was literally called chaos. Mm-hmm. So, I, like that's that's what he's referring to. Is he I'm calling sure. Greece the Near East? Yeah. Near East is not a it's not a usable term. It's not a worthwhile term. It's, no. it's just like, and God, we run into a whole lot of very poorly defined terms in this chapter. Yeah, that's true. He continues, he does not emerge from them. He moves out over them in a show of command. And to do what? To bring forth order. 
Order from chaos, light from darkness, night and day. And get ready for this, because this is the next fucking five pages yep. is just this kind of shit. This is all it fucking is. Just him yeah, trying to I think, vaguely I mean, I think we can, we can kind of skip through a lot of it, to be honest. But yeah, it's, it's just, just vaguely using metaphor to try to connect it to whatever the fuck he wants to say about manhood. Yep. So Which he doesn't really even say anything about manhood is the thing. Like he just he, he talks about the creation story in vague terms. No, it's is, it is like what is it, it, this whole before we get to the actual part where he starts talking about men? It is what like five pages where literally all it is, and, and he could have eliminated all of them. It is just an attempt to get that original line we already read about how the, Adam was a cultivator, a farmer, blah blah mm-hmm. blah, to connect that to men. For no fucking reason. All <laughs> and specifically, his grandfather. <laughs> yes, in particular. And his kid's weird car drawings for some reason. Yeah, that's weird too. We'll get to that. <laughs> this chapter is so fucking confusing. It's I don't know really weird. Yeah, we'll see. But let's, let's keep going. I didn't know why we had to do it. So, skipping down a little ways, he says, God creates man after his own likeness, which means many things. But already here, the story hints at one of them, that man will continue doing what God is doing. And that God and he will join God somehow in his labors. So, like, God just doesn't give a shit. Is that what you're saying? God's gonna do what he's got. God's gonna God. Yeah. God's gonna God. Baby. Well, we've already, he's already been established as a lazy God. So <laughs> you're gonna get other people to do his shit for him. Exactly. And again, he's taking that that whole thing is from the um, chapter. Sorry, verse 26 to 28, verse 28, where it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So again, in that, like even, I, I hate to do the by Josh's logic, but by Josh's logic, he's talking to Eve there as well. God by, is talking to Eve. I, I like the idea of turning by Josh into yeah, a new uh, slogan or something. Yeah, yeah but, you, but I... Well, and, and we talked about this that, at the beginning, it, right? It, God said to them, mm-hmm. be fruitful and multiply. And he didn't turn to Adam and say, and you specifically subdue the earth. He is talking to both Adam and Eve. Even in this twisted reading, it's nonsense. Benedict, the answer is, eh? <sighs> eh? I'm, eh. Going, I'm going to scream. Come on. We all know men are the only ones that matter. That's what the answer is. Let's be honest about it. But it goes on to talk about the second story, because, by the way, if you don't know, there are basically two different contradicting stories in Genesis. And it says, quote, The second story picks up in a different place and adds a new dimension to the picture of this creature, man. The second account emphasizes where Adam lives and what it means, that he comes from the earth and is meant to make the earth into something magnificent. So I find this particularly insidious Mm -hmm. because he doesn't say it, but the implication is... That Eve didn't come from the earth? That Eve, yeah, that Adam is going to make the earth, sorry, yeah, Adam is going to make the earth great because he came from the earth. Mm -hmm. So what does that, what what happens to Eve then, who came from Adam? She's going to make Adam great and her whole purpose is to serve Adam and cultivate Adam. That's the implication of this. Wouldn't you know that you have happened to stumble across one of the long-standing misogynist traditions <laughs> that has been passed out based off the Genesis story. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? That is, that. As a matter of fact, uh, I found some people commenting on that aspect. Um, <laughs> I love that my brain is like, red flag, red flag, <laughs> red flag. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is a tradition that comes down from the Genesis story. But here's the thing. Josh's version is even weirder. 
Yep. Somehow his is even weirder, and I don't know if it's because he's trying to avoid the explicit misogyny of those sorts of things. And we mentioned, like you commented on how uh, uh, the, the Bible verse he quotes says he's talking to them, not just to Adam, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll, you know, the, the whole reading of the second story contradicts the first, and it, whatever, none of that matters. But um, the issue that we talked about before is that he never very clearly delineates when he's talking about man by mm. which he means the gender, and man, by which he means humanity, mankind. Yep. Josh mm-hmm. doesn't delineate this very no, well, right? No, no. And I think it's intentional in some parts. Probably. To try and blunt the explicit misogyny of so much of this. I, I do really think it's a strategy on his side. Because in the next paragraph, he says, quote, In the second narrative, God fashions Adam from the soil, thus his name Adam, of the earth. And then in parenthetical, significantly... The woman, Eve, arrives later in this account and is not formed from the soil, but from Adam herself, himself. That's the point yeah. you were referencing. Yeah, and then, he, and then he says, and because Adam is of the soil, he serves the soil and then doesn't say what that implies for Eve because he lets the reader draw their own conclusions. Yeah, and, but he, he follows by saying, quote, the point we are meant to see in this uh, is that this man of earth is formed for the purposes of the earth. The two go together. This is why after God forms Adam, he brings him immediately to a place no doubt familiar in name. Familiar in name because the Bible is a popular book, but yeah. that's why it's familiar. But one that turns out to hold a deeper significance for Adam and for us that w- than we may appreciate. God brings Adam to Eden. So uh, the origin of Eden, do you know anything about the origin of that phrase? Do you know where the name comes from? No, no, no. There are two uh, b- uh, different b- hypotheses about the name, but the one that seems to be more popular is that it's basically the, it's, it's the uh, Hebrew word for pleasure. Okay. It's pleasure. It's just uh, it's a place of pleasure, <laughs> which is going to become relevant in a few pages, Benedict, yep. won't it? He says next. Sure what will. is Eden? Well, it's a garden, of course. That is the term Genesis uses. Though th- through, yeah, I can't talk today. Yep. I don't know why I'm slipping over all my words. Fuck! I'm supposed to be good at this. You I've been are. Doing yeah, this for years, damn thing. it. Yeah, we always <laughs> criticize when other people are shit at this. So if you it's could be good, that, that would be good. It's something that always happens when we throw off our recording schedule. That yeah. I become incapable of human speech. <laughs> <laughs> happens every fucking time. Though the sense of the term is something more like a park than a bed of roses or turnips. Yeah, nobody thinks it's fucking turnip patch, dickhead. Like. <laughs> It's a garden of earthly delights. Nobody's like, wow, I've cultivated my turnips. (laughs) And the part he goes on to here that I'm going to skip mostly is this whole rambling bit about temples. How Eden is Oh, this is so weird. Uh Uh-huh. Made no sense to me. I had no idea why it mattered. But basically, he's trying to say Eden's a temple. And, uh, you know, temples are important. And also, hey, uh, there's temples all over the place. Men are out there making temples. Men just be templin'. Men be templing every, you know, men love them some, te- yo dog, we heard you like temples. That's <laughs> Put temples just- in your temple. <laughs> it's Ridiculous. such nonsense. He doesn't even bother to con- connect it to anything else. I don't know why it's there. No, Again, and then he was what like, the fuck am I supposed to do with this chapter? And then God rested. But rest doesn't mean rest. It means returning home. Like, what? What the fuck are you talking So he's like, God fucked off, essentially, and <laughs> left Adam to, like... It- no, it means rest, bro. It means yeah. rest. Like, that's uh, pretty clearly what Well, it means. so Okay, so what he says is, 
so he tells all these things about the drawing similarities between uh, and i'm on page 20 now i know we skipped a bit mm-hmm. um but he, he draws similarities between mesopotamian religions and babylonian religions and, and marduk and everything and then he says there is a hint of similarity to genesis and on the seventh day god finished his work that he had done and he rested emphasis added he italicizes it and then he says and this makes no sense to me and i don't know why he says this rest meant to take up residence to come home what is happening in the ancient stories and in genesis god builds the world to be a place where he can dwell and from there rule mm-hmm. that what what are you talking about and then he talks about temples again and it's deeply weird <laughs> you know another thing that all this raises for me a question that it raises is to what level josh believes that this story is literal truth well that's the thing that i can't figure out because it seems as if he does it, it does, but also it doesn't. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's hard yeah. to describe why it feels that way from reading this chapter. And it feels like Uncanny bullshit. Valley of like whether he believes it or not. Because he's yes. like saying the things as if he believes it. But I'm just like, that. those are two contradictory sentences back to back. What are you talking about? <laughs> he does. He just says it like he, he believes it's true. But then he goes on long page long rambles about how this relates to what people around the time had in other religions and blah, blah, blah. And it just it, it's very I'm hoping we get some clarity throughout this fucking book on what he believes and not. I have no mm-hmm. fucking clue as of right now. I'll just say that up front. I do not know whether Josh Hawley is a biblical literalist or not. But I'm hoping we get some clues throughout this book. As of now, completely unsure. Hopefully we find out later. So it continues on. Quote. Oh, uh, before I get to that. So, yeah, we got the temple bit. And now he's going to talk us about talk to us about how temples uh, uh, are for images and things. Weird. But we're going to deal with it for now. And that is what Eden is in the Bible. God's temple and dwelling place, like you said. The center of the universe and its source of life. What does this have to do with men? I'm nothing. still wondering, Josh, because you never explained that. Nothing. It has nothing to do with it. Well, his answer, plenty, he continues. Consider. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's a different answer than what we have. <laughs> Consider. Temples were for the gods, or the next best thing. They're images. Another what? earlier report. And, and all he talks about here is how uh, the Egyptians and Babylonians built temples. What? How are you connecting this to manhood? That You just said you were going to well, do I, it, and so you did think- I think what he's saying is that, like, the images in Eden, the temple of Eden, are Adam and Eve. Right. So they are, they are reflections of God on earth, right? Oh, That's another, what... another fun thing. I, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Another fun thing that came to my mind as I was reading all this is I wonder, because I don't know, how much of what Josh says in this book is heresy. I, I do <laughs> Because I have no doubt. Josh has... would get burnt at the stake by the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind that some of his weird extensions and things he says that are basically just off his dome, right? He's just coming with this shit. I have no doubt that some of it is heresy in the sense that it contradicts, you know, whatever doctrine or whatever of of various Christian faiths. I have no doubt. I do. I hope that somebody out there knows who can tell us how much of what Josh believes is literal heresy in the sense that, yes, you would be burned at the stake for it in the past for believing it. (laughs) Because, hey, uh, I've got some firewood. Never mind, moving on. Uh, <laughs> we get to the next portion I had highlighted. I just say had highlighted because I wouldn't say that matters because none of it does. No, none of it matters. He says, quote, <laughs> Thanks now- for coming on this journey with us, everyone. It's stupid, <laughs> but here we are. Benedict, are you still feeling good about picking this book? I am book? not. No, I feel deep regret. <laughs> 
Now to the Bible. Something similar takes place there in Genesis. God subdues the chaos, makes a temple, Eden, and places an image in its midst. But in Genesis, like you, this is the point you were, where you point out, the likeness of God in Eden is not a statue. The likeness of God is mankind. It's such a reach. Like, that is such a reach. Even That's... for his weird, like, and also, who cares? What's that got to do with anything? Yeah, it doesn't matter. But that's the thing that made me think of heresy. Because yeah. that really sounds like a heretical thing, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. it really sound like it would be heretical if some old dude in a, a dress and a weird hat and a staff came up and said they're going to burn you at the stake? It feels like it'd be for that. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea where any of this comes from. Because so much of this, we also have to point out, does not have citations. There are random citations to like... To Genesis. To and that's Genesis. It. <laughs> There are citations to some weird dude who wrote, like, who's currently some theologian somewhere who wrote a thing. And just, like, it's not specific citations. It's, like, general background. He's giving citations to general background, but not to any of his real points that matter for what he's trying to argue here. Yes. Really weird and really strange, but also, yes, a whole ton of citations just directly to the Bible itself that are supposed to support his positions. Well, see, uh, there's a couple of citations coming up that I found very fun, but we'll see where he goes with it. So, he says, after this long bullshit preamble about temples, that brings us back to the question of Adam's mission, his job as a man. And he says, Genesis supplies the first half of the answer by telling us Eden is a temple, and Adam, like Eve, is God's image inside that temple. Mm. Okay. Buddy, really feels like you don't actually believe that based on some other stuff you've said in here. Really feels like a stretch for you. But skipping over to the next page, he says, quote, God had made, has made all the world, but it seems there is more work yet to be done. There is chaos yet to subdue, darkness to confront. Creation is an unfinished project. Men are there to help finish it. And God, am I so glad we're done with that fucking portion. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it doesn't get much better. Like, uh, and now, and now, Lars. <laughs> he begins with the next section. Oh, this book, by the way, I do like to point it out when this is the case. It does have subheadings within chapters. Mm. So I will read the subheadings when we get to them to indicate an inflection point in moving on to something new. And this section is called Building the Temple. And it begins, My grandfather's father... You could just say great-grandfather, Josh. Yep. People understand what that means. You don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Was named Lars... And he came to this country as a teenager, along with his mother and a half dozen brothers and sisters. Wow, was that legal? Uh, chain migration benefit. Ah, uh, yeah, chain, chain migration, migration yeah, yeah, famously. They came through Ellis Island and then went on to Kansas, where Lars's father was waiting on the homestead. Those early years... And by the way, this is something where I just kept going, dude, you're just making up stories about your grandparents because you don't actually have solid information about them. But mm. Fine, go off, brother. Uh, not long after we arrived in Kansas, Lars married and, and my grandfather, Harold, a good Scandinavian name. Weird parenthetical. Harold is spent with, spelt with an A in Scandinavian It is languages. spelled. Oh, Harald? Yeah. Like Harald? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's probably like a... Harold you know, is like an Anglo-Saxon name. I, anyway, I don't whatever. know, man. Do I look Anglo-Saxon to Look, I also you? don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but there's definitely... The only Scandinavian Harold that I know is Harold Hardrada, uh, and he was with the double A. Look, I only paused there to try and point out the sort of weird white supremacist tangent there, but it, sure, go off sure, about yeah. uh, how he's got the wrong idea. <laughs> why, why not? Was born in a house of rough-hewn himber, which Lars built himself. And I'm sure that uh, Lars also built the house that he was born in with his own bare hands, as we all know. All these people's fathers did. Continuing a little further down. To plant the field, Lars and his father first had to claim them from the prairie. 
the fields had to be made. Something akin to this happens in the story of Adam. Does it? Not really. God puts them in Eden. Yes, that was... Like... <laughs> but, but Benedict is another one of those... Yeah, but then he's eh. like, oh, but there's some stuff outside Eden. You're like, yeah, but they're not supposed to leave Eden. The yes. whole point is that they're innocent souls in Eden, and they're not supposed to see the horrible outside world. It's not like they're supposed to subdue the whole earth. And this is something that Josh never addresses in this part of the book. He might get to it later. But everything that Adam does outside of Eden is not because it was, you know, God's plan and all that no, stuff. No, it's God's it's punishment for them not fucking listening to him. Because God got fucking mad and kicked him out. Yeah, exactly. exactly they weren't is. supposed to leave. That was supposed to be their forever home. They could have just stayed in there and been eating a whole bunch of fruit and shit the whole no, time. No, no fruit. great. No it fruit. Been real great. No but, fruit uh, allowed. Uh, perhaps hearing them as children, talking about the Genesis stories, we are tempted to think of the entire creation effort as a neat and tidy episode that spans seven days and is done with. Uh, this is another thing that I think might be heretical. Adam and Eve come upon the scene and all the work is done for them, much like the farmer coming to fields already prepared. But that is not the picture Genesis, in fact, paints. Genesis says God spent six days bringing order from chaos, light from darkness, land from sea, filled what he had made with fish, fowl, and beasts, and then charged the humans to follow his example, subduing and filling after him. That is one of those things that feels heretical to say that yeah. creation wasn't done after Creation the wasn't done and, and Adam had to finish the job that God failed to do. Really feels like you'd find some old-timey guy in the 1600s writing... That would hit you with an letters. olive branch. <laughs> <laughs> the olive branch is the sign for the conquistadors to take him away. Yeah. Uh, continuing, what can this mean but the earth has not yet fully finished, not yet fully subdued or filled, the work of God not yet fully done? Yeah, this is another fucking reach. Like, this is, yeah. Again, no citations in this part, of course. But yes, it is one of those things. This is Josh pulling it straight out of his ass. That's all it is. But mm. then, we get to, finally, we got to some shit that I bothered to even care about. He doesn't blame Eve for this, to be fair. Well, I'm assuming he does. He just didn't want to put it down on paper. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. in his mind, he definitely blames it. Oh, yeah. But he gets to the snake story, right? He gets to the story of the snake. And he says about that, and this is weird because it's also wrong, quote, A sly and wicked serpent will enter the story a chapter later in Genesis. And from where? Beyond the garden's edge. Benedict, I pulled up the Bible uh, for, for this one. <laughs> I, I have the Bible. I went to fact check, okay. and I pulled up the Bible. Because you know how when you fact check, the place you look is the Bible? You yep. know how that's a thing that happens? Fine. I went and did it. And as it turns out, Benedict, no, the snake did not come from outside of the No, the garden. snake was in the garden. Yes. So Genesis 3 begins, the fall, begins, quote, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. That's it. That's the origin story of where the snake comes from. Yep. So Josh is just inventing here yep. that uh, the, st the snake came from it. It could be like Christian tradition. Like, well, uh, I, I also think it's like the snake is kind of 
speaking as the devil and the devil is obviously not in the garden but the snake is i think that's that's probably where they're well but again that's also just christian tradition right that's not said in the bible no 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 no. yeah yeah. exactly yeah you're correct it's sort of like how uh all the the levels in hell of stuff are just from like a schizophrenic nun who from no it's i think that's dante isn't it no well like the but the tradition of it comes from like a nun who had weird oh fun okay and like said that this is what she saw it's my understanding but uh anyways none of that matters none of this matters at all of course that's just how it is because we are epicurean liberals benedict yeah none of this matters to us at all oh he got to epicurus and i was like yeah this is right yes <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun when we get to that in like two pages let me bust through this shit as fast as i can he continues okay. the story gets at this in several ways this being that adam's job is to expand the garden of eden sure buddy beginning with the fact that adam himself comes from beyond the garden Genesis said God first created Adam from the dust and then brought him to Eden afterwards. That's actually not true also. Benedict, I fact-checked with the Bible. The Bible. The Bible says that Eden was made after Adam. Mm. So, yeah, it's just an order of operations thing, buddy. It continues a little further down. The idea that just as Adam's destiny began outside the garden, his vocation will take him beyond it. Mm, Or was it just they got kicked out because God was Again, they got kicked out. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then he continues, this was my favorite one, and I'll tell you why in a second. Above all, the, there are the specific tasks God assigns Adam once he gets to Eden. Genesis says God designates Adam to work the garden and keep it. Work is abad in, he, or adad in Hebrew. Meaning, no, abad. Abad, you're right. Don't he, oh, I got it right. Meaning, most basically, to till the soil, like my grandfather did. Like my grandfather did. To put back, not like Josh did, like his grandfather yeah. did. Not like Senator John Tester did, like Josh's grandfather did. Uh, to put back and muscle into it. But Eden itself is already cultivated. God did that part. If Adam is to till, he must till what is not tilled already. Do you think he, does he think, do you think he thinks you only have to till once? That was the point I was going to get to, Benedict. <laughs> and let me tell you, let me tell you, my knowledge on this subject is just as good as Josh's. In that, I have logged about 120 plus hours in the video game Farming Simulator 2023. <laughs> but even you know that you have to till more than once. You There's have to till multiple after tills. you've tilled. If you've grown in between, yes, you may indeed have to till again. Uh, I just love that for that simple fact of Josh not getting how tilling works, despite Dumb. all of his talk about his uh, supposed bonus days yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, anyway, let's go on to his weird thing about his kid. Um, yes. But the, the rest of that is just like adam is supposed to have dominion oh, oh the okay but before we get to that really quickly he has this weird I, i'm sorry i know you wanted to get to the fun stuff but he has this okay. weird aside which goes into this guy abraham kuiper um yeah who, i didn't i was very confused by this and that's why i'm skipping over it yeah it's very weird because the whole point of it is just like abraham kuiper said some stuff that vaguely sounds like it agrees with me and the quote yeah. he has from kuiper is quote We, with our own human nature, are placed in a nature around us, not to leave that nature as it is, but with an urgent calling within us to work on nature through human art to ennoble it and to prove for that. Anyway, my kid did some car drawings. (laughs) (laughs) That's the transition. I'm not kidding. It really is. It really is the transition. But let me tell you about Abraham Kuyper just really quickly for a second. Abraham Kuyper was a Calvinist. He was born back in the 1800s, and he did eventually become the prime minister of the Netherlands. Um, He also, and this is my belief on why Josh likes the guy, was virulently anti-socialist. He did not like socialists. He argued against socialists, and in particular, what he said to socialists was that socialists uh, should not be out there preaching class conflict. 
Uh, they were, in fact, a danger to reformed workers uh, because he wanted, uh, uh, Kuiper did, workers to accept their fates and be happy with a simple life because the afterlife would be so much more satisfying if they just went ahead and accepted Great. where they were in their position right now. Cool. That might be why Josh likes this uh, Kuiper guy so much. But anyways, yes, we get to the turn. Finally, we are turning to talking about what the fuck all this means for Josh's idea of manhood after so many pages of absolute nothing. And Josh says, quote, My older son Elijah, as I write this, nine years uh, is, as I write this, nine years old and a great lover of cars. That includes designing them. Josh, he's nine. He's not designing yeah, cars. He's not. It's like, he's like many improvements to my truck. No. Josh, just simply oh no. Josh is nine-year-old designed the Cybertruck. We finally <laughs> figured out where it came from. <laughs> and he probably could improve that, to be fair. It would not be hard. He keeps a sketch pad near him at most times to rough out ideas he has for new vehicles. He has produced multiple sketches improving on the truck I drive. Yeah, Benedict wasn't joking. That's actually the in there. <laughs> he has also designed entirely new vehicles equipped with features previously unknown to mankind. Laser guns. <laughs> I mean, this is a child. Like, you know, what are you putting this in your book for, you fucking idiot? Look, if Josh meant this as a humorous aside, if those lines are meant as jokes, which they are not written or structured as jokes, fine. I get that. But it does read like Josh is really saying, my nine-year-old with his sketch pad is really a it's genius. A fucking he's, genius. He's going to invent the next supercar. That's he's what's going to happen. big ideas. <laughs> ideas. And he says about, continuing down a little further, I recognize in this boyish work of his the impulse to cultivate and build. Apparently, <laughs> cultivate and build um, yep. from car drawings. Already apparent at a young age, he is fitted to venture out and improve the world. He is a temple builder. All men are meant to be. And That's that, insane. So, but, but he, I recognize in that. I've talked before on the show about how um, I have gone to these weird men's meetings at like mega churches uh, that were not because my you know, my family was Catholic. We, we didn't have that kind of weird shit. But my dad's best friend from college went to these Protestant mega churches uh, in around Sacramento, California, and they would have these men's meetings, these men's groups, which mm -hmm. is where I got to see like uh, a former general and weird, creepy, Christo fascist weirdo uh, General Boykin go and talk and, you know, people wanted to ask him cool stories about, like, the Navy SEALs and shit, or Delta Force, I think, is the one he was in charge of. And he just always turned every story into a way to talk about how the apocalypse is coming. Like, that's the kind of weird shit that goes on there. And those sort of people do use this sort of language yeah. where men are temple builders. And it's all this weird fucking metaphor that it is entirely possible that Josh has basically done the best job of explaining that metaphor in this chapter and it's just such a bad fucking metaphor that you and I don't fucking understand it. That's mm. possible. But I will just say that this language definitely exists in these communities. And it's not all that weird to them. It is weird to you and me when it hits our ears. But I've definitely heard that kind of talk before. It's not out of the ordinary by my experiences. Okay. It's a very unsatisfied okay from you. Okay. Sure. <laughs> That's sure. like my eh. Eh. Really? Eh. He continues. The world we know can be better, much better. It can be a place of goodness and beauty and life. It can be a place that reflects God himself. For anyone who has glanced at the world recently, that might seem implausible. But it also might seem hopeful, and it should. That is the point. As men, 
we are supposed to do something to make hope reality. And that's the point where uh, I started picking up on the fact that when I was reading it the first time, he is not intentionally, I think, not delineating between when he means mankind versus man and just using the word man mm-hmm. all the time. Because all the stuff he said previous to this, you would think, if you weren't paying attention, that that applied to both Adam and Eve. Yeah. All the stuff you, would you certainly seem to. might think that, yeah. But Josh, no, nah, it's just it's just man. It's just the men, it's just the boys. Me and the boys <laughs> the lads. have to make some temples. The yeah. lads themselves making temples. Yeah. So blah, blah, blah. It's not just external. It's internal. Build your character. Blah, blah, blah. Philosophy is bad. He doesn't like it. Continuing on. Quote, men know this instinctively about building their character. Whether they express it in those terms or not, it is why they respond to coaching and discipline and challenge. Ah, yes. <laughs> the manly virtues. Coaching? Yep. Coaching. We love to be coached. Especially our pretty little singing voices when we're <laughs> growing up. <laughs> my singing voice is quite lovely. Thank you very much. I know. I, I very much appreciate my singing teacher back in those days. Uh, I once had a student who came to law school quite young, at just 21. And though he had graduated from college, he was only beginning to learn to be an adult. To get to places... By the way, Josh was only a law school professor for, for like, like 10 months. Yeah, He was not there very long. It was a couple of years. It was yeah. not incredibly long. Uh, <clears throat> he was only beginning to learn to be an adult. To get to places on time. To keep commitments he had made. He asked for my help in creating a study schedule and setting academic goals, which I was happy to provide. But then he surprised me. Almost immediately thereafter, he asked for my advice in setting other, less academic goals. Fitness goals, spiritual goals, a personal improvement reading list, which I'm sure was wonderful. I'm sure it didn't create any works by neo-fascists. I'm certain none of that was on there. But that's fucking weird, isn't it? It is weird, yeah. That is, is, that feels like uh, someone who's been to law school, Yeah. an inappropriate relationship with a law school professor. Yeah. Very much feels like it's going And also, 21 is not that young. Like, that's a lot of people go straight from college into law school, right? I mean, that's not crazy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, but you know, I I mean, I did. Well, you did, but you were just older. I did later in life. Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't don't think I had. No, I mean, I knew plenty of people who were 21 or ish in law school. 22. 21, 22, around that age. There were plenty of people around that age. So maybe it's not that strange. Maybe I just think about my own experience being. Yeah. What was I, 26, 27 when I went to law school? Would have been, yeah. I honestly don't fucking remember. God, time fucking flies. Anyways, Benedict, on to the next subsection of the chapter titled Life Without Purpose. The dream. (laughs) Just want to watch the porn and uh, look at the screens. And and read Epicurus. (laughs) Read Epicurus. That's all we want. And yes, this is where we get into some weird shit about Epicurus. He begins saying, quote, The message of Genesis, what a man is and what he can do, cuts against the loudest voices in our contemporary culture and the philosophy behind it. Oh, uh, not for nothing, none of what he said is in Genesis. No. Like, there's nothing about being a builder or building temples or uh, having a purpose or anything like that. Right. None of that is in Genesis. If you think about it, a garden created by an omnipotent being that has everything needed that you you could ever want inside of it is kind of like a farm. Yeah. And, you know, when you get kicked out of that farm by that god, you, you have, have to go to and go hodgepodge and, your own farm and dig some roots out of the dirt yeah. to live and eat and lay and some irrigation pipe. You know, that's really temple building. It's really yeah. temple building. When you no, think you're about not. It. You're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but yes, this is where we get to. And by the way, another point about this philosophy section is that 
I, I did is enjoy that it's the fact. complete nonsense. Complete nutter nut. Well, I mean, he does get some basics. I mean, he gets Epicurus kind of right, yeah. but he's wrong that Epicurus sucks. Right. But one thing I love is that I thought back and I realized almost every writer we have uh, done has had a different boogeyman philosopher mm. of who is the evil bad guys, right? For some, it's Herbert Marcuse. And yeah, for, yeah. for Josh, it's fucking Epicurus. No, no. Imagine. It's always Imagine being mad at Epicurus. <laughs> it was just like, hey, I just want everyone to have a good time. Hey, uh, I don't think all of our Greek gods are real, so let's just, you know, uh, get drunk and fuck. Let's have yep. fun. Let's do that stuff. He continues, the, That philosophy is a modern form of liberalism, though it draws on ancient sources. It sees no inherent purpose in any human being, whether man or woman. It sees no inherent meaning in the universe. Modern liberalism comes to these conclusions by way of an alternative origin story, a rival account to Genesis about the beginning of all things. Um, and he's not going to say the Big Bang or anything like that. That's not the origin story he's going to talk about. No. Quote, This alternative story was best told by an ancient philosopher, a Greek named Epicurus. He lived bef uh, before Christ in the days of the Greek city-states and died around 270 B.C., though he would claim influential followers long after. And Benedict, this is the first point where we have to say, um, Epicurus didn't have a creation story. No. That's it's not a rival creation story no, it's just that Epicurus philosophy. had. Yeah, just philosophy. That's all yeah. it is. He continues, The creation story Epicurus told goes something like this. The universe is neither planned nor orderly. It is composed of infinitesimally small atoms that move and spin entirely at random. Which wow. is the point where Pretty I started Pretty fucking to wonder, right. <laughs> I started to wonder if Josh is an atom denier. Maybe. I started to wonder if he doesn't believe in... Atom, the, not Adam. He in believes the, in Adam, <laughs> but he does not believe in atoms. I started to wonder if he believes in the periodic table. But, I couldn't honestly tell you from reading this book whether he does or not. It's incredibly fucking... And by the way, people who point to Epicurus as like you know, discovering atoms. That's not yeah, true. Also wrong. Yes. He had an idea that like there were smaller elements that made larger things. He didn't like know what atoms were. Or yeah. Anything. Uh, continues. Uh, study the atoms and you will find no purpose, no plan, only a series of uneven movements generating random disconnected events in a history that it means of itself. Nothing. Which is the most correct interpretation of anything we found in this book so far. So far, but still is somewhat wrong. Because, right... No, no, Adam's... but I mean Epicurus's take on oh, the sure, world sure, is the yes. most correct that we've Randomness had Randomness, so and yes, yes, yes. Uh, he continues. From this physics, which is in, in scare quotes. quotes. yeah. <laughs> Why is that in scare Does Josh not believe in atoms? I, I don't know. I think he maybe doesn't believe in physics. <laughs> I, that's the only conclusion you can draw from this. Continuing, Epicurus drew the following conclusion. If there are no gods, and Epicurus was somewhat ambivalent on this point, they mean nothing good for human life. The gods are either subject to the same spinning atoms as the rest of us, and therefore not qualitatively different or more powerful than humans, or they simply take no interest in human beings. Or maybe they don't exist at all. Any way you parse it, the gods contribute nothing useful to the lives we lead. Correct. Correct. In fact, correct. Objectively correct. Also, sort of what a number of our founding fathers thought. Yeah. Deists. Also, somewhat uh, along those lines. The possibility of their exist. Oh, I uh, skipped a line. Uh, in fact, the, the only thing that the gods really inspire is fear. The possibility of their existence terrorizes mankind, causing us to invent rules and arbitrary standards about who qualifies for the afterlife. We worry about what the gods think of us and what they might do. Josh, 
do you not realize that also applies to Christianity? Yeah. Do you not realize that that is also what your God is? Well, I mean, it's just an accurate critique of Christianity. It's it's like uh, the only thing that keeps us in line is fear. Yes. Of hell. Like that's the, that's the sinning is what sends you to hell. And that's the only thing that keeps us in line. There's no positive motivation to be good other than the reward of heaven, I suppose. There there are traditions that have create been created and existed throughout Christianity that do like push like for good works and things. Yeah, yeah. The idea, but those ideas don't come from the Bible, right? That's not the idea of doing good for other things is not something that only started once Christianity came no, into being, indeed, right? That's indeed. that's not what that is. Yeah. But the other part of it is also, and this is very funny to me, that Josh does not realize that, like you mentioned, it's sort of along those same lines, that uh, the only thing that inherently comes from the Bible, this Genesis story where God gets angry and kicks someone out and there's this whole sin thing that happens, is that fear of the devil, is the fear of death, is the fear of hell. That is what comes from it because that's the whole idea. Original sin from Adam, if you don't overcome it, will land you in hell. Yep. It's so weird. He doesn't realize that. Yep. Uh, so maybe crazy. he does, and he doesn't mention it. Anyway, let's uh, let's let's close this out because moving it's, uh, along. I know we are we are we have uh, two and a half pages left. We're going to go through them pretty quickly here. So he uh, he gives a little a little bit more about Epicurus. Again, it is also very funny to me, but he's saying that this is where modern liberalism comes from, and like notably not. I think Ask Epicurus, most people if they've heard of Epicurus. Absolutely, no. fuck not. But like, I think Epicurus had some interesting things to say. Yeah. I think that there's definitely some truth to what he thought. Um, I think there's some good philosophy there. But like um, we 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 people, me and Benedict, who don't believe your little book, um, we obviously believe in doing good things because mm-hmm. we've sort of you know oriented our lives around fighting your dumbass <laughs> and all your evil bullshit. Yeah, and all your so, little uh, demons. Yes, uh, he continues uh, after explaining some more about Epicurus. If all that sounds familiar, it should. Epicurus's ideas have exerted enormous influence on the modern mind. Today's popular culture. Porn. Yep. Instru- <laughs> he didn't say porn in this chapter. But no, you know but it's prioritizing that. self-fulfillment. We know yes. what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-fulfillment over duty. Pleasure over sacrifice. It tells you to find your truth and choose your own values. Like Epicurus, today's thought leaders reject religious faith in favor of atheism and materialism. Yep. Modern. modern <laughs> I mean, yeah, true. I'm down with that, brother. Uh, modern liberals say there are no permanent truths, only constructs. And now they want to, it, that, that part, not true. And now they want to deconstruct masculinity on the basis that the demands of manhood pres, uh, prevent individuals from doing what Epicurus said was the only thing worth doing, achieving personal happiness. And like, dude, we all think personal happiness is important, but it's not about personal happiness just for yourself. It's personal, personal happiness for the greatest number of people. That's the idea, man. You want to talk about socialism, which you do all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. That's our general underlying goal is to increase the material well-being of more people. That's the general fucking goal. Mm. It's it's weird how often he comes. uh, Because I think, didn't he give us a definition of socialism that was like so far out of the ballpark, it just didn't even make any fucking sense. Even though I know, I said this before, Josh is not a dum-dum. He's a dum-dum, but he's not a dum-dum. Right? He is smart enough to know where to look and find intelligent conversations about these topics and people who have discussed what all these things mean. But he's just, 
He's I, honestly, I think he's just bad faith. Honestly, yep. I don't know. No, I think this is bad faith. I yeah, don't know yeah, why no, I went I, on this tangent. It's just bad it, faith. It's it, just it is fucking bad. bad. It's very simple. So getting to the end of this section before we get to the last one, it says, quote, and this is the plight of our age. People pursue happiness relentlessly because they are so desperately unhappy and so desperately without hope for the future. Because in Josh's mind, you can only get hope from the book that says you'll burn in hell if you don't love that guy. Uh, continues, Genesis encourages every man who struggles to see the point of his life, who feels that his work is a waste, or who wonders whether he will amount to anything to think again. Your work matters. Your life matters. Your character matters. You can help the world become what it was meant to be, and that is no small thing. And that's the point where I was really uh, happy, because Josh does not understand that his conception of God is exactly identical to the criticism of the Greek gods that he had laid down before. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly as arbitrary. Why are these things good? Well, it's God's plan. Yeah. It's God's plan. God's so plan. It's okay, Drake. God, God's, well, Fucking relax. God, God's plan. Things are good because God's plan. Yep. There, things, things are moral. Things if are God's, bad. God's if God plan. says they are. Exactly as fucking arbitrary. So we get to the last section, and this is a short one, The Power of Purpose, where Josh says, quote, and this is the part where I knew you were going to have the most notes, probably. I, I don't even need notes. He's just wrong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Beginning quote. The Bible offers a purpose that summons each man, a purpose that will transform him. A man cannot stay as he is. Uh, <clears throat> God, I cannot read today. I'm going to redo that line. Okay. A man cannot stay as he is, not if he is to take on the mission of manhood. He cannot live for himself alone. He must grow and learn and acquire the qualities of character his mission requires. And then Benedict, the Greeks and Romans, mm. baby. Fun yeah. times. Yeah, I mean, so uh, basically what he says here is kind of correct, but only in the sense that like you reach a certain age and then you become a man. Only and, in like, the sense that they were all fucking too. Yes, but so ba basically the distinction that he draws is that there's two words for men. Benedict, did you know that the uh, Romans spoke Latin? Did I, did, I did. I did. What, what have the Romans done for us? So it basically distinguishes between the word vir, which means man, and the word mass, which means male. But you'll note that those are two different words in English as well. <laughs> um, so, that, you know, that's the problem. And uh, look, vir, so mass just literally means, like, it can describe an animal as well. Like mm -hmm. this is, you know, like a boy cat or like Has a... Has a dick. Yeah. It's, it's in, in the sense that the Romans understood sex in mm -hmm. that way yes basically it is yeah like, i say that knowing that that that's you know going back to josh's uh reductive idea of sex and gender that yeah exactly yeah so um it, basically mass is just used for anything that that was seen as male and veer is a man mm -hmm. quite simply that and sure there, there are there are ceremonies of becoming a man and like uh, you know, like the, the same thing quote from the Bible, like time to ch time to put away childish things and things like that. Um, but that's all it is. It's reaching a certain age, and then you get to wear a toga virilis, essentially, mm -hmm. um, that shows you have become a man. But there's no, there's just like the vague commitment to be kind of manly. But like it's also a different time. Like it doesn't really mean anything. And also a vastly different idea of masculinity. Exactly. Than, yeah. than the one Josh wants us to believe in. But Ben, did you know? Did you know a man, a veer, was yeah. willing to bear pain, for instance? Willing to give his life for others, willing to act boldly, to face death, 
the, that the Roman Cicero pointed to Gaius Marius, a Roman general, who I'm quoting, by the way, that's yeah. why I'm reading, reading so weird, who once required surgery but refused to be held down during the operation. Rather, he willed himself to equanimity as the surgeon cut, being a veer, Cicero concluded. Huh? Did you know all of that? I, I did, did you know I, that Josh wants surgery without anesthetic next time he has to go in? I also know, you know that, about Mar- that Marius was one of the people that was p- responsible for the beginnings of the downfall of the Roman Republic. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, I know. Uh, alongside Cornel- Cornelius Sulla, <laughs> yeah. So maybe Josh sees some inspiration, and, and maybe Sulla, who defeated Marius. By the way, Rome, ironic but- that he cites Cicero there, given that Cicero had his masculinity criticized or questioned by other contemporaries of his time, because he, like, Wrote letters to his wife during his exile that were sad. Is it is it gay to write to your wife, fellas? <laughs> it's very much that kind of stuff. But then Benedict, in the ultimate uh, galaxy brain move, he brings up Achilles. He brings up Achilles, yeah. the literal symbol of hubris. And he brings up in particular the fact that Achilles had the opportunity not to die on the battlefield, but chose to die instead. The act of hubris that Achilles did. Yeah. And completely does not talk about Achilles and his uh, love affair with another man. Uh, Patroclus. In any way. Yeah. yeah, Patroclus. That's how we say it in Murica. We say Patroclus. That's how we That's say it. That's not Say it works. right, Benedict. <laughs> say it right or we won't end the show. Okay. But- <laughs> <laughs> I know this one has gone long. And we both, before we started this, went... We were like, maybe we can minutes. do two chapters. No. <laughs> chapter and honestly i don't know how much of this i'm gonna end up cutting out in the end because so much of this is worthless it's utterly fucking worthless you'll know we've recorded for three hours so let's uh but you'll see how much kevin has cut out i will get you to the end here with him saying the Roman well, hold word, on. One, one, well, what, what are you, oh, the sorry, Roman I, word for yeah. manly is this, Benedict. What was, what was Machiavelli's word for manliness? Was I believe also? it was virtu. virtu. Did you yeah. know what the Spanish word for manliness is? Virtuth. Do you know what the Roman word for manliness is? <laughs> are we going to get every language's word for manliness? No, just the book? romance languages. <laughs> he doesn't know how to make his keyboard do the God, Chinese or Japanese characters. <laughs> close it out. I'm done. He gets to the end of it. He talks about Teddy Roosevelt because he fucking loves him some goddamn Teddy Roosevelt. And then we get the final paragraph of the chapter, which I think we can talk about in about 10 or 11 minutes, right? We got to, before that, no, I'll read it right now. (coughs) It is, quote, The Adam story and the mission it reveals offers us the chance to live with purpose, to leave behind the meaninglessness that afflicts so much of the modern world and to venture out boldly with fresh hope and confidence. But the mission does not leave us where we are. It summons us to greater things and personal change, and that requires we face hard truths. For, according to the Bible, God's plan to make all the world a temple faces opposition. There are dark forces that resist this mighty work and that will resist us if we take up Adam's call to fulfill our purpose. We must struggle against the evil in the world and in ourselves. This is the next installment of man's creation story. Available for nine ninety nine on Amazon <laughs> right now. The next installment of the Bible. I am going to be typing it up tonight and releasing it. Benedict! What the fuck did we read today? Yeah, it was weird. I didn't like it. Like, I, I feel like when I go back to do the edit on this, I am going to find that this is such a disorganized and hard to listen to episode. Because it was a I disorganized and hard to read chapter. Honestly, we, we made it more organized and easier to digest, I promise you, than it was for us. 
This is such a fucking nightmare. It literally, I'm not gonna, I'm not lying to you. It took me three hours to read this one chapter. Because it took me three hours because A, I had to keep fucking Googling Bible verses, which I'm giant pain <laughs> in the ass. B, because there's such little substance, I had to keep going to all of his footnotes and Googling all of his fucking footnotes to try and figure out if any of these people said the shit that he said they said. Mm. And what I kept finding, and gave up after very shortly, was, no, they're just like, this is just general background shit that has nothing to do with the points he's trying to make. That sounds right. But uh, apparently, this is uh, this is manhood. For manhood, you need to, um, what was the lesson of the chapter? Build... Build temples. Build temples and cultivate so, the earth. Go find a quarry and cut some blocks of stone mm. and start building the temple, everybody. Isn't Amen, it fun? baby. Let's go. Anyways, thank you all for listening. If you've managed to make it through this fucking chapter today, God, I hope the next one is better. I really do. And we hope you enjoy the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Sam Walsh, Right Wing Cruelty Isn't a Bug, It's a Feature, Dan L., Jamie Fritz, Teach Peace, Dr. Ma- I forgot to message you and get the pronunciation, so it's going to You be know who you here. are. God damn it. Dr. Mi- uh, Dr. Milminian Men, Lanolim Swinwamley. Chim Chimini, Chim Chimini, Chim Chim I will send you a message after we get done recording so that I get that finally. I'm sorry. The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Danny Rosari. Pause for breath. Thank you. New buildings are a globalist conspiracy. Kerry Conrison, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson Vetro, Stephen DeBoe, Tori and the Gallant, Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S. I'm going to make my name as long as possible. Sorry, not sorry, Kevin Kello, LOLOL. <gasps> okay, Benedict, where art thou, Bright Spot? No. <laughs> Flack Weasel, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week when our guests will be Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott. Clifton Stuckey, Paws, A Restless Native, A Baby, Wah. Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Stefan, Beware of Kissy Time with the Shadow Wolves. <laughs> Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Benjamin Carlisle, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, <clears throat> Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick. Sorry, I got to swallow here at the end before I get to the last ones. Taru Takanen and Balls Waterson. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, build some temples, bitches. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com